0: every single paycheck. So let's jump in and teach you how to hire like a pro. Hello, Jamie Van Kuyk here and welcome back to the Growing Your Team podcast. Today I have on guest Heather Dominic. But before we jump into everything, I just want to ask, have you had an opportunity to check out the the shop now available at, at growingyourteam.com. If not, go ahead over there where you will find amazing resources to help you throughout the hiring process and how to lead your teams, including job posting templates, email templates, books that you must read, and even free resources like my hiring checklist. So go on over to growingyourteam.com/shop and check out the new shop and resource center available from Growing Your Team. All right. Well, let's talk about today's conversation. So today, as I mentioned, I have on guest Heather Dominic. Heather is both highly sensitive and highly successful. For more than a decade, she has trained and mentored highly sensitive entrepreneurs and leaders so they are able to work less while making more both impact and income. I felt this was a really important subject to discuss on the podcast because we might all encounter highly sensitive team members as we go through our entrepreneurship journey some of you that are listening might consider yourself highly sensitive. But going through this conversation with Heather actually opened my eyes a lot because I learned that there's extreme highly sensitive individuals, but then there's this whole spectrum of sensitivity that individuals have. And I learned through the conversation that even I fall on that highly sensitive spectrum as an individual and as a business owner. So it was very eye-opening for, for me to realize things that could help me succeed in ways I might also be holding myself back because I do fall on this highly sensitive spectrum. So whether you consider yourself a highly sensitive person already or not, I highly encourage you to listen to this episode and take notes so maybe you can learn a little bit more about yourself and also how to lead people, how to manage a team if the team members you hire in the future or the team members you have on your team today are highly sensitive individuals. So let's jump into the conversation. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Growing Your Team podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here. Talking about teams is one of my absolute passions, and I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation.
0: Yes, it's one of my passions too. So I'm so excited to get into this conversation today. But before we really get into everything, can you take a moment and introduce yourself?
1: Absolutely. So I am creator of the Highly Sensitive Leadership Training Programs, and I have been self-employed for, this is actually my 20th year,
0: and
1: I've been, thank you, and I've been mentoring highly sensitive entrepreneurs and leaders from around the globe since about 2010, and being able to support highly sensitives with how to effectively manage a team, like I already shared is absolutely one of my passions. So really looking forward to our ability to dive in with this conversation.
0: Yes. All right. So let's jump right in. The first thing I would like to ask you is what does highly sensitive mean? Because there might be people that says, yep, that's me 100%. But then there might be other people listening that could fall into that category. They just never define themselves with those words before.
1: Absolutely, yes. So good to kind of lay that groundwork right from the get-go. So highly sensitive is not a term coined by me. It actually comes out of psychological research from the mid-1990s. There's one woman in particular who is most well-known for her research. Her name is Dr. Elaine Aron, and she wrote the book, The Highly Sensitive Person. In short, what it means to be a highly sensitive person is that your nervous system is wired to a greater degree than someone who's not highly sensitive to take in stimulation, meaning that you will take in stimulation at a much higher degree, whether that be sight, sound, smell, touch, energy, information. There's 20% of us, according to the research, who are born into the world highly sensitive. And being a highly sensitive person, because of, again, the way that your nervous system is wired, basically means that you end up processing the world very differently than, again, someone who's not. In my work, I take what it means to be a highly sensitive person who's called to be self-employed and really supporting those highly sensitive entrepreneurs and leaders, how to be able to really work effectively with their nervous system so that it's working for them rather than against them. And that's what I call kind of shifting from shadow to strength.
0: I love that. And, and I think like learning things about this is super, super important because even if you're listening to this and you're saying, I'm not a highly sensitive person, we're, we could be working with highly sensitive people on our team. So it's really, really important. And I think the other thing about this is if we are recognizing that we've never heard that term before, but we're falling into that category, it's it's important to learn about it because I think so often we, we fall into this thing of comparison. Why am I like this and I'm not like that? You know, why can't I be like that business owner over there? Why are these things not working for me? And when we really sit back and understand ourselves and understand our strengths, it allows us to be our best selves. It allows us to reach success that is similar to maybe other people's success, even though our path to get there might be different, even though the inner operations of our business might be different, that we can still have the same like rewards of success as other people
1: absolutely yes so you touched on just some real real key points and one is again that aspect of team right so whether you're a highly sensitive entrepreneur and leader who needs to really understand how you work so that you can effectively work with others and have others working with you you absolutely touched on a really key point which is that even if you're not highly sensitive Being that there's 20% of us in the world, it's very, very likely that one out of five on your team is a person who's highly sensitive. And whether you are or someone on your team is, it is so helpful to understand what it really means to process the world differently so that you can contribute your strengths. Um, Again, whether you're leading a team or whether you're contributing on a team. It makes, oh my gosh, all the difference in the world. And I also really appreciate that you mentioned comparison. And I actually have a whole teaching on comparison in a section in my book, because that is a real, real big blind spot for those of us who are highly sensitive and either don't know yet that we're highly sensitive or don't know how to work with it. We can look out at the world and literally 80% of the world, is we're different we're different than the majority of people in the way that they're operating their business, running their teams, living their lives. And when you get caught in that comparison, it can really trigger that that sense of not enough. And rather than not enough, we want to be able to shift into that place of, oh,
0: I have something to contribute.
1: It's just, I have something to contribute that is in a different way.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. It just reminds me of one of the things, I know I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I remember how eye-opening it was for me when I learned introvert versus extrovert, because I am an introvert. And I just remember in high school, sitting there and seeing people that were extroverts and being like, but why am I not like that? Why can I not get out of my shell? And then realizing once I understood the difference of, I didn't need to get out of my shell. I just needed to operate in my strengths. It's even something like networking now as a business owner, it's like learning to network in situations that work for me, instead of trying to force myself to do things that are uncomfortable for me.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So, so well said and, um, and definitely like a a great example. And also that speaks to the point, which is always a valuable point to make that being highly sensitive doesn't necessarily mean that you're introverted. Um, It might, it might not um, for myself, but I actually, you know, score two out of two, Um, but it's really helpful either way, right? Like, oh, am I highly sensitive and introverted? And what does that mean? Or am I highly sensitive, but not introverted? And what does that mean? You know, or any other combination as well.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. All right. Well, let's dive a little bit more into the highly sensitive uh skill set strengths and everything. What are the top strengths for highly sensitive people and how does that really help people excel either in entrepreneurship or as a leader?
1: Absolutely. Yes. So, in my work, I've identified what I refer to as the 12 top strengths. I think a few that are really valuable to highlight is, you know, first and foremost is we are extremely intuitive. Uh, we also have a high level of empathy, and we also really possess the strengths of being deep thinkers, deep listeners, deep feelers. So all of those, just to kind of, you know, touch on a, a few of the tops, it, are, oh my gosh, so incredibly uh, supportive when you really learn how to hone and harness them and really be able to use them in service to your business as an entrepreneur, in service to leadership. Um, I really always like to Reference Daniel Pink and the work that he did in his book, A Whole New Mind. And with that work, which was actually research that came out quite a few years ago now, and I'm not sure if it's close to a decade, but not a decade then again, close to. And he just really spoke to how we are moving in this direction of really needing to be able to work from these types of strengths and really be able to work and connect relationally versus more transactionally, where we were primarily in business last century. So that alone is just a great example of how and why, for those of us who are highly sensitive, feel the call to be self-employed are really actually wired quite well to do exactly that. However, it does, again, really take that, you know, being able to hone and harness those strengths. So they're really accessible and and available to, to be a part of your business and to be supportive as a leader as well.
0: Yes. You know, one of the items that you mentioned was empathy, and I can see that as kind of like a double-edged sword when you're a leader in your own small business because it's really important to have empathy. But I think empathy also leads us to sometimes not making the right business decisions, especially when we have employees because one of the things I hear people say over and over again is, this person's not really doing their job, they're not working out, but I feel so bad about firing them. You know, I know that they have, you know, kids, I know they have this, so I'm just going to keep them on. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to I'm going to keep giving them a paycheck, even though it's now costing my business so much to keep them on their team. So how do we balance that empathy and make it so it's not holding us back?
1: Yes, oh my gosh, I love that you tuned into this. So what I really hear you describing actually is like what I refer to in my work is empathy versus sympathy. And I actually really go quite deep into what does empathy really mean? And even though it's one of our top strengths for those of us who are highly sensitive, it is actually the one that I find, you know, my clients and community members have the most challenge with for exactly the reason that you described. So in short, like the official definition of empathy is your ability to relate to someone else's experience and someone else's feelings or emotions without taking on or becoming their experience or emotions right so that's really the key and it's such a great example of really being able to hone and harness those strengths that really takes due diligence and really a committed core practice to really develop that empathy, right? So when you offer are really truly in that strength, you can absolutely identify with where a team member might be falling short, what it is that they have going on with them personally. You can speak to that human to human while also acknowledging what it is that the business needs to continue to move forward. And then that opens up this like beautiful space for another level of conversation. So based on what you're experiencing and what you have going on and what the business needs, here's what's needed where you are going to need to fill the gap as a team member. Do you sense that you're able to do that? What do you need in order to be able to do that? And either A, myself as team leader, as business owner, you know, or business mission. Yes, we can step up and we can support you in that way. Or actually, we're going to need you to step up. And if you can't do that or we can't meet in the middle, then this is not the best role and current path for you. So we're going to set you free so that you can go find what that is right so that's just one example of that it's not all or nothing right it's not either like sympathy or destruction but there is that real beautiful powerful space when you are actually able to really be in that strength of empathy there can be understanding on both what it is that the team member needs and what it is that the business needs
0: Yes. Oh, I love that. I love the way that you talk through all of that because it is so important. One of the things that that you said that I think we have to remember is no employee really wants to not be doing a good job. And you mentioned as like, well, helping them find or going off, setting them free to do what is right for them in terms of like what feels right for them, what's really going to lift them up and hit their strengths. And if we think about it, once again, that no team member wants to be doing a bad job So a lot of team members are going to work really hard for you, even if it's not their strength. And if you can see that it's really not their strength, if you can see that there's that misalignment, sometimes it is really that giving permission in a way for them to go and do something else. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people that struggle with that. It's like, well, why does someone need permission? It's not necessarily like, I think there's sometimes on that subconscious level, we're just waiting for someone to recognize and help us see, like help us see what we're not seeing ourselves, help us see that, okay, this isn't the right position for me. I need to go off and do something else. And also, you know, if you're really probably operating from that place of empathy, helping them really figure out what is that right next thing. You don't have to be like, this isn't working out. Goodbye. It's like, okay, we're seeing that this is really isn't a fit what are your strengths what do you want to be doing what does lift you up all right i have someone i could connect you with
1: that's right yeah absolutely you know or we you know reposition you within within the team but again going back to sympathy versus empathy you know when we're in that sympathy place for those of us who are highly sensitive that usually means that we're caught in the shadow that i refer to as over responsibility right which is for a highly sensitive we have again that real ability to feel what another person is feeling part of the work that we do in the leadership training program is just because you can feel what somebody else is feeling doesn't mean that you're responsible for it so when you're able to pull back from that over responsibility or that sympathy then you're able to enter into that kind of conversation that you just beautifully modeled right and then also what that speaks to is as a person who's highly sensitive or any business owner, whether you're highly sensitive or not, whether you like it or not, if you have people on your team, you are the team leader. (laughs)
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Right? Right. So that's like something, it sounds so like, you know, obvious, but it's actually something that I've really seen at least for, again, my clients and community members who are highly sensitive that we often have to mentor through that. Right. So you're, Business service, right, might be like you are a real estate broker. But if you have people on your team, you are a real estate broker and a team leader, right? Or you are a business coach and a team leader, or whatever the service based business is, because for those of us who are highly sensitive, it's always about service and team leader. So those are actually different skill sets, right? And even how you use empathy might be different in when you're relating with your clients than when it is that you're relating with your team. And it can just be so valuable to actually kind of flush it all out, right? And be like, oh, I can't just expect that, again, if I'm feeling something, I'm responsible for it, but I also can't expect the other way around that if I'm feeling something, I'm expecting others to just know what it is and to be able to take care of it. It really requires that cultivation of that leadership and being able to language as leader.
0: Yes. Oh, I love so much that you just said there, Heather. Like the first thing is just really that if you have people on your in your company, you are a leader. It doesn't matter what your role is. You're a leader. And, um, It's one of those things I always say is like, as business owners, you have the ability to create the business that you want. You don't always have to be in the CEO position. There's a lot of people that are still involved in their organizations that hire someone else to really be that true CEO. They're still owner, but they hire someone to really sit in that CEO role. But even if you do that, you're still a leader of your organization because you're still an owner you can never really get away from being a leader in your organization unless you're a solopreneur who's working 100% on your own and not even having contractors. If you are working right. with anybody, employee <laughs> or contractor, yes. you are a leader in your organization to people. Yes. You know, yes. You're always going to be leading the organization, but you're a leader to people if you work with people, if you're paying people to help you with your business. So that yes. is super, super important and something I wanted to wanted to stress on. The other thing is just really, once again, around that responsibility. I like that you brought up that word responsibility because we need to make sure we're putting the responsibility in the right place. There's certain things when it comes to your team that you are responsible for. You're responsible for the culture that you create internally. You're responsible for taking care of your team members internally. And if you want to be a people-centric organization, that you're making it so it's a people-centric organization. But you're not responsible for things that are out of your business's control. And it doesn't mean that you're responsible for having someone or keeping someone on your payroll and giving them a paycheck when they're not the right person to be there. So it's figuring out and making sure you're focusing on what am I responsible for when it comes to my employees and what am I not responsible for? And I feel like sometimes that happiness of your employees is that fine line. You should be doing things as an organization to make it so your employees have the ability to be happy. But as individual people on that team, There's a lot of things that are not in your control that you're not responsible for because that person's an individual that's bringing in individual stuff, just like you're an individual and you're not going to work well with, in every company, you're not going to even be happy with every type of client. So it's really finding out that right balance.
1: Yeah, my gosh, so well said. And, you know, and I would even say that is not only is it not in your control, but it's not meant to be in your control.
0: Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. Focus on the things that you can and should be controlling and Mm -hmm. let go, take it off your to-do list, which I think it's one of those things is like you also mentioned one of the other strengths is just that, uh, that deep thinking. And I feel like sometimes that's one of those things that could, if not, if that strength isn't properly honed, can get you into a lot of, a lot of trouble, just thinking too much overthinking. So tell us a little bit more about that
1: for sure yeah i love how you're just so naturally like speaking to the shadows and the strengths and you know like i mentioned earlier like so much of the training that i do is about how to shift from the shadow to the strength so what the shadow is that i really hear you describing is analysis paralysis right and as highly sensitive especially we can really go to that shadow place versus again when you engage and how to really be able to hone the nervous system so that you can access that deep thinking when and where it's of most service and support right so for example you can utilize that strength of deep thinking to really access problem solving Really be able to kind of go to a deeper level than perhaps maybe someone who's not highly sensitive to see a different option than someone who's not highly sensitive. But when you are working from that trained place as a highly sensitive entrepreneur and leader, it's almost like you know how to kind of turn it on or off, right? Or even like you can think of it like dialing it up or dialing it down versus when you're in that shadow of analysis paralysis, it feels totally like it's out of your control. Um, and it's kind of taking you over and you can't get things done because you're just so mired um, in the details. You feel kind of frozen with you know all of the different options. And um, you know, obviously or hopefully we can feel the difference between the two, right? Of when yep. you again really access that deep thinking intentionally versus when it just feels like it's completely overriding you.
0: Yes, yes. I see this happening a lot, especially because it's my area where I'm focusing with clients, with hiring. It's like, okay, I know I need to hire, I know I need help, but now I'm just gonna analyze it to death. I'm gonna analyze every candidate to find that one thing that makes it so they're not the best hire. And I always have to remind people, is like, no one's the perfect hire, but do they have enough going for them? And if there's things that are really critical that we haven't addressed yet with that cl- or with that candidate, let's address it with that candidate instead of sitting here and being like, but, but, but. It's like, do we have enough data? If not, let's get that data and then let's make a decision.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. And so much of the work that I do with my clients around this area is to really be able to access and use that strength of intuition as part of the higher process. And what I a lot is especially for my clients is they might even really have like a clear intuitive sense of who that right candidate is meant to be but then they get caught in like what the correct way to hire is right it's like oh but you know I have to follow like xyz steps and it's like well yes and no right it's like do you have enough of the more you know in Intellectual data, and then what's your intuitive sense? And can you give yourself permission to actually really just follow that and not have to go through necessarily all of the rigmarole that maybe someone who's less intuitive does need to go through or would find really helpful? But if you're going through it just because you have a lack of trust and what you really sense and know is going to be the best fit, then we're kind of just spinning our wheels. Again, we're going to get stuck in that analysis paralysis. You're doing something that's counterculture to your nature, and it really is just overall unproductive, right? right? So, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things I see there. Like, you know, some of the processes and everything that we put together for hiring for our clients is, you know, we don't we don't believe in these super, super complicated processes. We do always say, talk to a candidate before you make an offer at least twice, because sometimes <laughs> you're going to learn things that second time that you didn't learn the first time. And sometimes that person, you're like, yes, this is 100% the right person. Once you ask a few additional questions, you're like, nope. And it's more that that instant connection versus their ability to do the job, which both are important. You need to be connected with the person, totally. but they also need yes. to be able to do the job. But yes. Else. And I wonder if this sometimes is kind of falls into that shadow of that intuition is that fear where sometimes it's like, they're not the right person. I don't want to hire them. And they're like, my intuition is telling me, but sometimes I find out that it's fear. It's fear because they had a bad hire in the past. It's fear because they're starting to maybe fall into that deep thinking and they're starting to like crunch the numbers again, even though we crunched the numbers before and they could 100% afford this team member. They're like oh my gosh, this is going to be an expensive mistake if it's a mistake. And they sometimes let fear stop them. So does fear kind of get in the way of intuition at times?
1: Oh my gosh. If there's one question that I get asked all the time, like in all my years of like doing this work is how do I know the difference between fear and my intuition? (laughs) It is like the question for sure. I have a whole section in my book and the, the, The short of it is and the way that I share in the book is that fear is an emotion and intuition is actually cognitive. And I do a lot of work in the leadership training program that speaks about the connection between the head and the heart. And I don't wanna get kind of like too much into neuroscience for this conversation here and now, but again, in short, the heart, which is connected to our intuitive ability The heart brain is like I think the research shows three to five seconds ahead of the head brain. So when you are really cultivating that strength of of intuition, you are learning to be able to use that um, coherence between the head and the heart. So when you really develop that ability, then you start to recognize the differentiation between that feeling of fear and really when you are in a clear sense of knowing in that, again, coherent connection between head and heart. And again, I'm trying to make it as simple as possible for this conversation, but, um, that that is really totally the difference. And it does really take core practice and being able to differentiate between the two. But when you really do, then it's no longer confusing. And it's no longer a mystery. You're like, oh, yeah, this is fear. Okay, how do I want to work with that? How do I want to manage that so that I can still be in action moving forward versus like, no, I'm mean, absolutely, I'm clear on this knowing, doesn't even matter if it makes, you know, like logical sense, I'm good, to go. And then there just isn't that that questioning anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, and, and you just said something right there at the end, even if it doesn't really make sense, like I'm good to go with this. And with working with a lot of small businesses throughout the hiring process, there's sometimes where it's like, I'll ask them questions if they don't want to hire someone that I thought was a great candidate just because I want to learn. And and I always preface, preface it as, I'm not trying to change your minds. I just want to know so we can find you the right person. And it's like, and but sometimes they're just like, I don't know, like, I just can't put my finger on it exactly. I can't put words around it, but I just don't see this person working well in the organization. And sometimes we leave it at that. And I'm like, that. that's fine. I like, but if you yeah, yeah, see, what, that's yeah. so
1: cool because even when I hear you, you like describe that situation, that sounds like, and feels like a solid knowing, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the, your client just knows versus if they were in fear, you asking them those questions would trigger them into more questioning. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's just like, that's amazing. That's very cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because sometimes it's, well, I don't know this about them yet. I'm not sure if they can do this. And it's like, okay, well, let's find out. Or let's go back and look at the notes that we took during the interviews. Okay, they said this during these interviews. They gave these examples. Okay, does this give you enough information to decide? All right, well, in some processes, we check references. So it's like, well, we talk to their references. We'll specifically ask about like their work in this particular area. So it's like, do we know enough? if that fear is coming in, to stop the fear so that way they can make the right decisions.
1: Yeah. Or again, do you just know solidly and don't need to explain it? You're just like, nope, that's not the right fit. And then you're just free to move on.
0: Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Okay. So the other thing I want to ask about before we really start wrapping up for today is with a lot of businesses, when we go talk about signs that it's time to hire a lack of time is really one of the things that play into it. A lack of time is really what drives a lot of the needs to hire. But I'm also the big person that says, you should never hire until you really need the hire. So what is really causing that lack of time? And I know you talk a little bit about how some productivity hacks don't necessarily work if you're a highly sensitive person. So can you talk a little bit more about this and maybe give us some tips on how to make time your friends as a highly sensitive person?
1: Yeah, well such a big subject. So let me just kind of get to the nut of it as best as possible. First and foremost, for those of us who are highly sensitive, we tend to operate on a very unique circadian rhythm. And that circadian rhythm looks different for every highly sensitive entrepreneur and leader, but it does tend to differentiate from a person who is not highly sensitive. So understanding your circadian rhythm then supports you in being able to make some decisions about when and how you are producing and creating in your business versus serving in your business and when those times are most effective so i refer to it as the one third rule and starting to get clear of like, when do you do best with time off? When do you do best with time on? That's that kind of creating period. And when do you do best with time in? That's when you're actually serving in your business. Once you start to get clear on that, then the trying to work in a way that doesn't work for you, that starts to fall away. And often trying to work in a way that doesn't work for you contributes to that sense of not enough time. Because it's almost like you're working against yourself, right? And so it's like, oh, I just can't get everything done from say like the standard stereotypical nine to five. However, when someone taps into, when a highly sensitive entrepreneur taps into their circadian rhythm and they start to really work with it, then suddenly what they couldn't get done between nine to five suddenly is getting down between two and four, for example, right? And once you understand and are working more in your circadian rhythm, then that does contribute to the hiring and bringing on team. And that decision can often be made not from, I don't have enough time to do it all, but more from the place of I'm not meant to do it all right? And then we really look to like Gay Hendricks and his work with the big leap. And when you're working in your zone of genius versus zone of excellence, et cetera. And to me, that is like the best place to be bringing on team from, right? So that you can be bringing in people who can take on the tasks or aspects of running the business or leadership within a team that you're really not meant to be working on, because then this loops us back to the conversation around strengths, right? So again, kind of a lot there. (laughs) It's not really an act, but more of like a method, but still when you're able to embrace it, super, super effective.
0: As you're talking about that, like, it's one of those things where I was actually just having a call with a with a client today where we said, okay, there's one position that she's hiring for. And she goes, I don't care when they do the work as long as the work's getting done. So if it's better for them to work at night, great. And, you know, another position, she goes, okay, this position does need to have standard business hours because they're communicating a lot to other businesses and stuff that are operating on that time. So they need to be able to do that work. But even for that, she said, if the other work that doesn't involve being face-to-face with clients and interacting with clients, can be done in the evening because that's their best time, let them do it. I remember for me when I was in college, I couldn't do homework until the sun went down. It was that thing. It was just like, if the sun was up, I was too distracted by everything else going on. So I knew when the sun went down, it was my time and I'd get things done so much faster than struggling to try to do it all day. And that is like
1: an amazing example of knowing your circadian rhythm. I love that.
0: Yes. And it's like, even in my business now, it's like, obviously I meet with most of my clients. I do a lot of meetings during the day, typically when the girls are off at school. But a lot of the times if I need to get a lot of work done, where it's that head down work, checking things off the to-do list that don't involve interacting with anybody else, after the sun goes down is when it's my my best time to do it. I can That's struggle amazing. with it during the day, or I can go and do it at night. And just being able to have that flexibility, I, I really, I really thrive in it because it allows me to not, not, once again, not struggle to be able to do what is best for me to get that work done without trying to fit into someone else's box. Like it drives me crazy when it's like, here are the things highly successful entrepreneurs do. And the first thing on the list is they get up at 3am to get work done. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, if that's like, The number one thing I have to do to be a highly successful entrepreneur. Guess what? I'm never going to be a highly successful entrepreneur. And it's like, can't people realize that that's not everyone's natural rhythm? That that is torture to some people, including me.
1: Yes, exactly. I literally had a coach say that exact sentence to me um, in my early years, and I was like tortured by it, right? And was like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to do this. And you know, thank goodness I. Found my way to a different way.
0: But yeah, so well said. That's all. It's it's, kind of like what you said. You have to find your natural rhythm. So if you are a coach out there that's telling your clients that, maybe change it as what is your most productive time and build a schedule around that, not what was productive for someone else. What is your most productive time? That is your schedule.
1: Yes. Yes. Sing it.
0: (laughs) Yes. All right, Heather. Well, we have to start wrapping up for today. So tell everybody how they can get in touch with you.
1: For sure. Yes. You can find out everything at www.businessmiracles.com and some helpful resources there. And just absolutely reach out if you'd like to get in touch and have a conversation, businessmiracles.com.
0: Sounds good. All right. My final question that I love to ask all my guests. We have all had leaders or managers that have stood out to us. Think of a leader or manager that has stood out to you and share one thing about them.
1: Yes, oh my gosh. Well, um, I would say uh, a leader that stood out to me is so weird and random, but actually goes back to the days when in high school and college, I was working as a waitress. And I remember that I had, this manager at this Italian restaurant that I worked at and she was really all about being able to relate to your customers and relate to the customers and get to know them as people and you know at that time in my life I was still like really quite shy but taking that approach just lowered my anxiety massively which kind of sounds counterintuitive because being a shy person but the minute i stopped i just i'll say it this way the minute i was able to just focus on like getting to know the the customers that i was serving at the table and not then therefore have to be about only being absolutely perfect I actually was able to just relax and do an easier job and really discovered how much I really enjoyed like actually being able to like interact and get to know people. And I would say that was probably the beginning of then being able to eventually cultivate my skills as a teacher. Um, which is definitely a skill that I brought into the classroom when I taught as a traditional teacher, and so much of how it is that I've been operating my business over the last twenty years is, you know, people as people rather than people as numbers.
0: I love that. Like, I feel like that is so, so important. One of the other things that just kind of came to mind when you were talking about that is, obviously, I asked this question to all my guests that come on. and, the amount of people that bring up a manager from one of their very first jobs. And it just goes to show like how impactful leaders can be as you're growing up in your career, that we think back and I know you said you've been an entrepreneur for 20 years. So I'm assuming this job was probably 20 plus years ago. That person still stands out to you.
1: Yes, yes, way longer than 20 plus years
0: So, so it's, but it's one of those things, like we, we have to remember that, that when we're hiring people, when they're new in their careers, they're new starting out, even if it's a part-time job that they're coming in for, we have such the ability to really impact them for the long-term. Yeah. It might only be a temporary job on someone's roadmap, but it can 100% help make or break that future journey for them.
1: Yeah. So good to remember that. Oh my gosh. Yes. And just like random sidebar, that could be like such a cool book for you to like take those stories that everyone shares at the end of the podcast episode when you ask that question. Oh my God, that could just be so cool. So, you know, i
0: have to think about that. Yeah, right? definitely. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Heather. We have to wrap up for today. So thank you once again so much for coming on the Growing Your Team podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Are you ready to hire a new team member for your business and you want to ensure you hire the person who can succeed in the role, make you happy and positively impact your bottom line? Then let's talk and see how growing your team can help you master the art of hiring through bespoke hiring frameworks and comprehensive guidance. You will learn how to attract candidates who have the passion you desire and the skills needed to succeed. At Growing Your Team, women entrepreneurs and leaders work with us to help them expand their unique businesses by teaching them how to hire like a pro. Let's connect and see how we can help you. Send me an email at jamiegrowingyourteam.com. At That's Jamie, J-A-M-I-E at growingyourteam.com or head on over to growingyourteam.com slash jumpstart with jumpstart being all one word. And let's talk about how you can become a confident leader who hires right every single time.